So we're on page 85. I'm going to go back to the reading. I think this is a very helpful paragraph, um, particularly with sponsees. Um, you're probably going to have sponsees that have a very hazy or uncomfortable notion of what God is. Some of you will have very complex ideas of what God is. But here it tells us him who has all knowledge and power. And if you stopped at that, so the source of all power, the source of all power, in other words, that the that any negative forces in the world are not separate, that they're misdirections of that power that comes from God uh, and the source of all knowledge. If, if you're, if, I, mean, I mean, sometimes I have to go back to this as my notion of the higher power, the source of all knowledge and power. Um, if you're in the habit of, of doing morning prayers, you, there'll be lots of prayers which stress that all knowledge and power lies with God. It's a good place to start. And it's also very helpful, this, because it talks about receiving strength, inspiration and direction. And all through the big book, it talks about the different commodities that we get from God. So you have a relationship with God and, and God isn't just this sort of thing over there that's generally in charge of the universe. God is um, someone who can give us things and specifically here it says strength, inspiration and direction. And later on in the same sentences, it says knowledge and power. And all the way through the big book, I'm sure that I've mentioned this before, all the way through the big book, there is this division between knowledge and power. Give me one moment to turn off an electronic device, just a second. So the problem that I have as an alcoholic is that um, my knowledge and power running on self comes from uh, my darker side, my ego, the evil inclination, whatever you want to call it, which, as I say, is not a force in itself. It's a distortion of good. Um, but that's my basic state when I'm in an unrecovered state, that is exactly what is going on. I'm listening to the wrong voice. I'm following the wrong direction. I'm using the wrong type of energy to try and get things done. And I think we've talked before about step three being the step where I stay in the driving seat of the car, of my car, I need to stay out of the driving seat of other people's car. So I stay in the driving seat of my car and I have uh, I have new power, which is directly from God rather than power filtered through my ego. And I have new direction, which is direction straight from God, not direction filtered through my own ego. And. This paragraph is also very helpful because it tells us what the direction of flow is. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. My, uh, I've got a friend um, uh, called Julie. Many years ago, she said a, a rather wonderful thing in a meeting. She described herself in an untreated state as being a sucking vortex of need as if she were the centre of the universe and just sucking everything she needed in from the universe. So the flow is from the material world into her. And of course, that doesn't work. Um, the more I try uh, uh, with any what makes acting out, acting out, whether it's uh, whether it's rage or sexual acting out or sulking, there is a momentary relief 
I mean, sulking is delicious for about five seconds, but then it increases the need. It doesn't satisfy the need. It increases the need. So I need more then. It's exactly the same as with alcohol. So in an ordinary person who wants to have a drink, the ordinary person has the drink and it satisfies the need. In an alcoholic, and I'm talking about myself here, when I have a drink, it makes me more thirsty. When I go to the world for something, whether it's pleasure or validation or respect or success or money or obedience, if I get a little bit of it, it's lovely for about five minutes and then I need more. So this tells me that there is something wrong with the direction of flow. And this paragraph tells me that the flow is the other way round. We have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us, which is the flow from above, not the flow from below up, but the flow from above down. Because that's where the source is. Um, it's much better to eat cake than to look on the floor down below for where other people have dropped crumbs and then eating up the crumbs from the floor. You won't, you won't get satisfied that way. I, I, I want something from above, not from below. But of course, the point about flow, if it isn't flowing, it's not a flow. <laughs> That's why they call it a flow. So, so I'm going to stop the um, text so I can see your lovely faces. There you go, all of you. Um, so what makes a flow is that it's a flow. Now, if God's spirit is flowing into me, because I'm finite, for the flow to continue, it must flow out. If it doesn't flow out, so if, if a cup is full, you can't pour any more into it. The flow has to go out. And uh, my old sponsor, Brian, was very good. He, he said... This spiritual awakening that we get in AA, it's like milk. You can't keep it for months in a milk churn and, and hope for it to be good six months later or a year later. It, it, if you don't give it away, it turns sour. And nature is like this. Uh, you know, the, there, are the, um, uh, there are the morning prayers as well about... Uh, you know, that 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 flow must continue. If something blocks up the flow, you're really you're quite literally stuffed. You've got a problem there, haven't you? So so life means flow, and that flow has to has. I don't know. Hope you've had your breakfast already, um, or maybe not. Um, but the flow has to continue. Um, it's no good me sitting on a cushion listening to my meditation app, feeling very, very spiritual. Um, the point of the flow into me is that so that, that flow can continue out of me into the world, which means I've got to constantly be, be giving it away. Um, there's another quotation from the big book. Let me just flip to the screen again. Right, so this is from page 128, bottom of 128 of the big book. Um, like a gaunt prospector, belts drawn in over the last ounce of food. I feel sorry for whoever is simultaneously translating this passage into Hebrew. Like a gaunt prospector, belts drawn in over the last ounce of food, our pick struck gold. Joy at our release from a lifetime of frustration knew no bounds. Father feels he has struck something better than gold. For a time he may try to hug the new treasure to himself. He may not see at once that he has barely scratched a limitless load which will pay dividends only if he mines it for the rest of his life and insists on giving away the entire product. So the reason I'm given strength and direction is to do something and not simply be sit there satisfied like a sort of potato that I've been given everything that I want. I've got to be I've got to be active. Um one point about also about receiving strength, inspiration and um, direction. 
Um, it talks about inspiration elsewhere. And I'll give you an example. So I'm going to flip back to the screen because we need the text for this. So page 64 has got a useful passage. I'm just going to wait for it to appear on the screen. There we go. So the relevant part is this part at the bottom. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So there is a specific order here. Spiritual first, uh, mental second, and physical third. Ment uh, spiritual first, mental second, physical third. Uh, so this is the order in which we get well. We get well from the inside out, not the outside in. Uh, which means I need to get right with God before I can get right with everyone else. So I need to, to, to establish that relationship with God in, start to establish that relationship with God in step three. And then the other, uh, the other um, aspects come later. And sometimes people are very critical of the big book, saying how badly written it is and how old fashioned it is and how carelessly written it is. I don't think it's carelessly written at all. So we've got this order, spiritual, mental, physical. If we go to page 86. We find an extraordinary coincidence, except it's not a coincidence, I believe. I think it's because there is a deliberate plan underlying this book. So there are there are, there are spiritual principles which are part only partly visible, but which are guiding what the writers of this book wrote. Here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or a decision. And if you look carefully at this, this operates in the same in the same order. Spirit, mind, body, spirit, inspiration, mind and intuitive thought, body, a decision. And then we go back to. Eighty five. And we've got a very strange thing here in this passage. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. And now inspiration is about spirit. Direction is about that's the mental side. Yet before you go anywhere, you have to have an idea in your mind as to where to go or what to do. And then strength is the ability to do that. So this is a curious thing. You've got the same little trio of ideas, um, spiritual, mental and physical. And you think, well, why isn't it in the same order? Now, I'm not in the mind of the people that wrote this, but it occurs to me um, that on one level, this is the order in which things actually occur in practice. So when I came to AA, it was my body I had to bring to the meetings. I had to start before I was inspired. I had to be in the room. Uh, very often I have to lead with action. If I wait for inspiration, I'm going to be waiting for a very long time. So sometimes strength has to come first. Um, when you're faced with appalling temptation, whether it's to act out in some other addiction or to say something beastly to the children or to the husband or to the qualifier, as we refer to them sometimes. Uh, the strength comes first. If you wait, if, if you wait until you feel like keeping your mouth shut again, you're going to be waiting a long time. The, sometimes the action has to come first. Um, and I think it's sometimes said with with prayer that, um, uh, you know, if you're saying a prayer, 
with your mouth. You're actually not just running it through your mind, but you're saying the prayer with your mouth. So with your actual body. But your mind isn't there. There is no um, connection with God. Uh, There's no real intent there. Um, You're thinking about the laundry. You're thinking about the thousand things you have to do today. But you're still making yourself say the prayer. It's my experience that when I don't feel like it, I say formal prayers. When I don't feel like it, I still carry on saying the physical prayer because my spirit doesn't need the prayer. It's my bodily life which needs the prayer. And sometimes in the middle of being distracted, suddenly a a single word from the prayer captures my attention. If I hadn't continued with the strength, the strength has to come first. The strength to say the prayer has to come first. The strength to do what my sponsor is suggesting, even though it's clearly dumb. The strength comes first. Um, About nine and a half, coming up for ten years ago, um, I got a new sponsor in Texas with whom I have nothing in common. And he said to me, um, we, we'd been working together for a few months. Uh, we spoke for two hours every Saturday afternoon. Uh, now, I say we spoke for two hours. That's not strictly true. He spoke and I took notes. Um, sometimes I'd ask a question and then a quarter of the way into the question, he'd start speaking again and we'd be off for another half hour. Anyway, at some point, he said, uh, I want you to come to Texas. He said, I'm speaking at the 60th anniversary of an Al-Anon clubhouse called Club 12, an AA clubhouse called Club 12 in San Antonio. Um, He said, I want you to come. So, right, so I'm supposed to travel several thousand miles for a one hour talk um, on a Sunday morning. I've got to buy flights. Um, I've got to pay for a hotel. I'm going to be there for some time. You you can't just fly all that distance for a day and fly back. You've got to stay for a while. Otherwise, you'll wreck yourself physically. And it's all so I'm going to have to take a couple of weeks off work or at least 10 days off work. Uh, This is a big this is a big ask, as they say, a big request. Um, So what comes first? You take the action first. Uh, When did the inspiration come? The inspiration came when I was already in Texas and listening to his talk. And um, I'm not a particularly overtly emotional person, but I'm not going to reveal the full details, but I had an emotional moment, which could be called inspiration. And then what came afterwards? Direction. Once I was inspired, I knew what I had to do, which is whatever he asks me to do, I'll do it because it's worth it. But the the, the flight came first. The strength came first. Then the inspiration. The inspiration was a gift. I was sitting there and suddenly the inspiration hit me. You don't go and get inspiration. It comes to you. And then direction automatically flows from the inspiration. And this is a good example. Um, um, so it, it's a common idea also that the right approach when God asks you to do something is to say, uh, uh, we do first and listen, do, do it first and then listen later. So. You say yes, and then you say, tell me more about it. You don't say, tell me more about it, and then say yes. And then I'll, I had a a, a sponsee, I've had many sponsees who've done this. They say, well, I'm in a terrible situation, awful situation. What do you think I should do? And you tell them what you think they should do based on your own experience and basic principles. 99 out of 100 situations are just no-brainers. 
um, you know, you're not risking 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 anything by giving advice because it will be the same advice for any person under any circumstances. Um, you know, uh, she's been arrested seven times in the last year. Probably don't get engaged, right? It's not it's it it's not a difficult question. So, they come to you with the question, and you give them the advice. And or, or this or the guidance or the suggestion or the this or the that, whatever you want to call it. And then they say, thank you very much. I shall consider that. And you're like, oh, oh, the great you shall consider that. And once the great you has considered that, maybe you will deign to follow the advice that you've asked for. <laughs> You're 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 going to ask the problem what it thinks about the solution. That's a pretty bad idea. So this notion of uh, act first, listen later, um, just follow the direction first, and then the inspiration will come later. Is 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 not bad. So um, there are some paradoxes here about how God communicates with us. So, you know, sometimes the order is inspiration. It is spirit, mind, body. Sometimes the body comes first. Um, if one doesn't work, try the other. <laughs> it's a very simple way of looking at it. Um, it then says to some extent we have become uh, God conscious. Um, so this is this is a progression, becoming aware of the presence of God. Um, some people in their first year have very uh, profound spiritual experiences and become very confident about the relationship with God. They're now on first name terms and they're absolutely certain about everything. My observation, I've known a lot of people who've who've been in that position over the my many years in AA. And it's very rare for those people to still be there 10 years later unless it calms down and you realise you know almost nothing. Um, so God consciousness is a process, not an event. And when you get a little bit of it, the danger is thinking that's all there is to get. You shut up the channel and you try to keep what you've got. Um, my sponsor's first sponsor was a man called Jim Willis, who got sober in 1957. And he said, uh, somewhere around his 60th year, his 61st year of sobriety, that if everything that there is to know about the higher power, about God, were a globe. Um, and on the globe, you know, the, these in old fashioned studies that people would have these huge globes, these huge spinning globes, these beautiful works of geographic art. And of course, you know, the, 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 the sort of the, the, they had to be varnished because they're painted with the map of the world so that there are layers of varnish. And he says, after 60 years, I feel as I've scratched part of the first layer of varnish. But there's still the whole world to discover within that. And I think that's not bad. So God consciousness is um, what, whatever you get don't think it's all there is to get. And that, and the reason that's terribly important is that after years of recovery, I'm sure those of you who've been in for years will agree with this, there are moments at five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, when you have like a bad day or a bad month or a bad year, and you're like, I've reached the end. This is all there is to know. I now know everything there is to know. It's depressing. I'm disappointed. I might as well give up because there's nothing beyond this. And it's folly. I, I've reached that point many times. And then five minutes later, five weeks later, five months later, I'm like, what was the problem? <laughs> There's no problem. Because you've gone further than what you thought was the furthest point. So so destina what appears to be a destination is not a destination. 
um, we have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. Um, this notion of the sixth sense, there is obviously a place for reason, and something that I that drives my sponsees crazy is my insistence that things be thought through logically and rationally. Um, people are very resistant to this, but ultimately, um, although that has to be done, there's got to be a solid foundation in my understanding of any situation. Ultimately, the right thing to do is a matter of inspiration, which is this vital sixth sense. Um, I um, am hosting um, a, a, step, a, a big book step workshop, which is going on every evening at the moment, except for Friday night, so Saturday through to Thursday. And we're going through the big book systematically. We're around step two at the moment. And so I invite someone to share. There are between 40 and 60 people there on occasion. And I invite I, I invite someone to share for 10 minutes. Then I invite other I invite everyone to come in to offer to share. And there's a great range of people at this meeting. There are newcomers, there are old timers, there are people in between, there are people who are just back from relapse. And day after day at this event, um, the first people to want to share are people who've been relapsing. It's a very common phenomenon in AA meeting. The first hands that go up to share are the people that are newly back. But the purpose of the meeting is to act as a vessel for people to share their experience of having worked the step in question. And the principle of tradition one is that I want to look after common welfare. What's the common welfare? Um, yes, we want to include everyone, but uh, we want to make sure that the purpose is achieved, which we're carrying the message so we're including everyone, but but the message has to be carried. So I'm not picking on people in the order in which they're volunteering to share. I'm spacing out the newcomers and the people who are back from relapse in the midst of lots of other people. So there's variation. It, it's not just a series of men all in a row that it's in, interspersed with women. It's interspersed with Al-Anons and OAs, newcomers, old timers, all mixed in, but making sure the overall purpose is met. Now, I could construct an argument for why um, that's right and you know, not following the order in which people volunteer, but, but, but using some sort of judgment to try to, to, to make sure that the, 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 there are old timer messages interleaved with the newcomer messages. I could equally construct a logical argument why I should just pick on people in the order in which they volunteer to share. I'm capable. I'm capable of arguing anything. Um, on, I, I'm a devil for politics. I, I have to stay out of it because I can sit at dinner and have an argument for two hours about, uh, about something with um, some friends and, and just be awful, just an awful person to be with, the, you know, horrible energy. And then about ten past nine the next morning, I change my mind and I have another conversation with another bunch of people and present the opposite view with just as much conviction as 24 hours earlier. Um... um so sometimes I don't know what I think about a situation, but I know I'm right and I'm very confident that I'm right, but I don't know what I know. So I've got to be careful Though I, I do think things through. It's ultimately um, it's some sort of gut instinct, which is that the, the final decision is one of gut instinct, uh, according to what my higher power thinks and, uh, uh, or what I think my higher power thinks. And at the moment with this meeting in the evening, my instinct is that I need to look after the primary purpose, make sure everyone is included, but not not just not have seven or eight newcomers share at the beginning of the meeting. 
I may be wrong. It may change. But I, my sponsor encourages me to listen to that instinct because it's ultimately more reliable than logic and reason alone. So logic and reason take you most of the way there, but there is a final leap. And that final leap is faith of trusting God and trusting that instinct. Um, and then it says in this paragraph, but we must go further. And that means more action. So we're going to talk about step 11 in a moment. Does anyone have any questions or thoughts or would like to share on that paragraph we've just read or anything? Feel free to just unmute yourself and share or pop a note in the chat bubble. Hello. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I've just changed my audio on here. Can you hear me still? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Um Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, so there are, there are a couple of points. Um, okay, so there there are a couple of points. I think those are those are good those are good points. Um, the first one is that uh, my friend Tom says, um, uh, sometimes you just have to make a decision. And the worst thing it can be is a terrible mistake. If it's a terrible mistake, we have step 10 for that. We admit it promptly. Uh, not making a decision is also a decision because there are consequences of inaction. Sometimes the consequences of inaction are as bad or worse than the consequences of, of action. Um, when I'm lacking an in inspiration, which happens a lot, or when I'm when I recognize that um, I can argue A or I can argue B, you know, I, I, I'm capable of arguing anything, so I can't trust the argument. This is why I have to have people around me in AA who are who know me well who are uninvolved in my situation emotionally and can give me a good, uh, at least at, at least adequate advice about what to do. And something that my sponsor says, uh, which is, um, we, we, and this works if you've got a good sponsor, um, he says that he's never, he, he'd rather follow the wrong advice of a well-meaning sponsor than his own best worst thinking and when i think of all of the things that i've had to make amends for in my life not one of those has flowed from following the advice of a sponsor now i'm going to caveat that slightly 
there are there are situations. Um, I got a friend in SLA, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, who had a turbulent relationship, very turbulent relationship, which resulted in in uh, a suicide attempt on his part. And he was on the edges of SLA at this point, and he got a sponsor in SLA who said, you have to cut off from her, from the girl, cut off from the family, no explanation, nothing, just cut off. And he did pretty irreparable harm to her and to the family by refusing to engage in any way at all. Um... And then he ended up trying to make amends for the fact that he cut off in that brutal way after having tried to commit suicide, which she obviously felt very bad about. She felt partly responsible for and he wouldn't communicate. Um, So there are exceptions to that. There are situations where following the advice of a well-meaning sponsor can get you into trouble. But in my experience, they're vanishingly rare. They tend to arise where the sponsor is advocating some kind of um, vigorous interference in other people's lives or some very brutal act, either in one way, either brutal cutting off or brutal interference that that and that's where i'm always uh when and this is a good point about keeping yourself morally safe as a sponsor is what i what i'm it's legitimate for me to share as a sponsor to other people is what i've done in the same or similar situations uh what i've it what i've observed in other people obviously anonymizing the situation as far as possible um, you can set out general principles and how those general principles might apply. But it's important to stress if I'm going to, I don't tell someone what to do in a specific situation. Um, and I cover myself by saying the ultimate decision must be between you and your higher power, because you're the one that has to bear the consequences of the decision. I'm not going to be bearing the consequences of the decision you are. So I can give I can only take you some of the way if you want to get other views, go and get other views. That's fine. But I stop short of um, the absolute um, uh, the absolute order when it comes to anything to do with the external world. If it's got to do with taking certain actions in the program, like complete your step four, do a step five. Um, go to meetings, sponsor people, phone, but that's fine because those are generic and, and obviously good actions and they don't involve a negative, Im- they don't involve a potential negative impact on other people. It's where other people are involved. We've got to be, I think, super, super careful. Uh, uh, Sarah Rivka, you wanted to share. and an alanonic. Um, yeah, I wanted to say something that I've noticed, which is um, I, I get many calls from sponsees and, um, and they can't make a decision. And at a certain point, I started listening more carefully. And what happens is I can hear in their voice, they say, like, I can't decide between plan A or plan B. Plan A, well, I really should do it because people are counting on me, and if I don't, I'm going to feel really bad. But Plan B is what I, is Plan B is, it sounds like a lot of fun, and it sounds like a good thing, and there's a, and I can hear in their voice what they want to do just by the tone of the voice, not even so much the words, that they know what they want to do. They know which, which action they want to take. And I'm talking about a case, cases where both, there's, that no, nobody's going to be hurt by anything. There's no major uh, uh, changes involved. It's just a question of where to go for the weekend. And um, but that can seem like a, uh, an impossible decision. And so I just point out now. Well, it sounds to me like you know perfectly well that you want to do Plan B. And and 
sometimes they, it's like it's a matter of all the voices telling them, but I shouldn't because, and and not being able to trust their own truth. And um, and it's just funny for me that I I didn't notice this until I started listening more carefully. And that wasn't the reason I started. I started listening more carefully because it's good to listen more carefully. And when I did, that's what I heard. But when I myself need to make a decision, I still have to run it by somebody else because even though I can hear it in other people, I can't hear it in myself as clearly. Usually I know inside, but I still need somebody else to say, yeah, it sounds like that's a good idea. That's it. Thank you. Yes, I identify with that enormously. There are two types of question I get from sponsee, which... Um, what you see is not what is really going on. What is on the surface is not what is going on. Um, one of them, one type of situation is where um, the sponsee is frightened of moral responsibility. So they want you to make the decision for them so they're not responsible for the outcome of the decision. Um, so if it goes wrong, it's your fault. And the way this usually plays out is feigning incompetence or ignorance or not knowing. I, do, I don't even know how to think this through. I'm sure you would. I'm sure you'd. if you sat down for a few minutes, you'd be able to work out what are the options, what are the pros and cons of each option. Because when you start to question the person, it turns out they know exactly what the options are. They know exactly what the pros and cons are. But they people feign... That it's a sort of reversion to childhood of being, you know, the the, the incapable princess. Um, and so there my job is to give people the tools to think through the situation themselves. And maybe where I can, I can't, I must not do for someone else what they can do for themselves. I can do for someone else what they can't do for themselves. So if someone has some experience in the program and um, has some common sense, maybe they've been sober a while, you know, that they can solve practical problems in the external world. That's a situation where I will simply give someone the tools. This, this is a system for making decisions how about you run through this system, come back to me with what the options, what the pros and cons are, which one you're minded to follow and why. And then that's the furthest point you can reach yourself. And then I can take you further just by giving a an instinctive read on the situation or pointing out something you may have missed. So that that's what I do in that situation. So rather than I won't accept the burden of someone else's decision making, I push the burden back to them and say, I can be brought in at a later point once you've got to the furthest point you can reach yourself. Now, a second type of situation with sponsee is... Um, um, and you, there's an Al-Anon variant and there's an alcoholic or stroke addict variant. Um, the alcoholic variant is, I want, uh, so A is clearly the morally right thing to do, but I feel like doing B because it's more fun or it's more interesting or it requires less effort or I shouldn't have to put up with this terrible behaviour of someone else and the reason they're phoning up is because they know they should do A, they know God's will is A but they want to do B and they want you to co-sign them going against what they know to be God's will. That's a very common thing with addicts, alcoholics. With the Al-Anons it's, it's a similar thing but it's, it's reversed in that um, uh, they know God's will is to say no to a situation, maybe. Uh, but they feel guilty and frightened of the reaction of someone else. 
So rather than taking responsibility for putting in the boundary, they want you to take responsibility for it so they don't need to feel guilty about how the husband, the father, the children, the whoever else will react. Because then it's your fault and then they can and then oh then what you hear back is that they've told the husband or the parents or the children, well my sponsor said I should da 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 and now suddenly it's your fault that they've set the boundary. And because people, I, I hear, I hear this goes on. I know none of you would ever, ever blame your sponsor, or your grand sponsor, or your great grand sponsor for some decision which has upset people. But there we go. Occasionally, you may be tempted to. Um. So, it, and it's not done with malice or ill will. This, but but it is, it is done where people try to shift to you as the sponsor the responsibility. Now, it, of course, it, it's vital that we check things out with other people and that we're available for other people to check things out with us. But um, it's always got to be with the awareness that the responsibility still lies with the person whose life it is, that all you are is an extra voice in the mix. And there's a relevant quotation from the big book, isn't there, always? Um, and I think I may be wrong. I think it's page 80. Yes, there we go. Give me a moment for the screen to catch up. There we go. So this is in step nine, but it contains principles which are applicable in all sorts of other situations. Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. So this is the application in practice of Tradition 4. So Tradition 4, in my language, says this. Do what you want, really. But if it's going to affect someone else, get their consent first or don't do it. You know, just be be, be considerate of other people. So if you want to listen to heavy metal, fine. If it's going to if it's going to disturb the neighbours, maybe you want to put it on some headphones. There you go. If we have obtained permission, so that's consulting other people, uh, checking with other people who are going to be affected, have consulted with others. So this is when you talk to your sponsor. This is when you talk to your best friend. This is when you talk to the whoever. Go and see the rabbi. Um, asked God to help. So you've got to ask God directly. God, what do you want me to do here? And the drastic step is indicated. We must not shrink. In other words, having done those things, you consult the people who might be affected. You consult advisors. You ask God. The, 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 the step is in front of you to take. Indicated. Indicated where? I mean, you're not going to get a fax. You're not going to be paged. You're not going to get an instant message. It's not going to come in the form of a TikTok video. Um, how is that drastic step indicated? It's what it says earlier about the sixth sense. That's where the drastic step is indicated. So the final decision, the final judgment is made at the level of instinct and inspiration. If in doubt, if that level is just blocked for now... Go with the best advice of the best sponsor advisor you have. That's what I do. Um, uh, there's a question. What is the system to help people make decisions in the there's a note for this workshop. Let me just pass you the. Where is it? OK. So there's a note for this workshop, which I'm sharing if you'll just give me a second. There you go. So that note contains links at the bottom to two notes I've shared before. One on how to make a decision. The second one is how to make a major decision. Both of those are uh, collated from all of the useful things people have ever told me. So... I didn't write those notes. I compiled them. There's a difference. Um, we've just got a few minutes left and there is a short paragraph that I want to go through so we can start cleanly with step 11 next week.
Um, let me just go to the correct page, 85. So, bottom of 85, it says step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. I think with this audience here, we're pretty clear on what prayer is, although I would say uh, for our purposes in 12-step recovery, formal prayer is mentioned on page 87, but direct petition, taking a question directly to God, um, is also part of the practice of prayer. Um, meditation, don't be misled by 21st century definitions. Uh, so the sense of you know, mindfulness is great if it's a practice which helps. Page 87 licenses any practice which helps in step 11. Um, all of those wonderful Buddhist techniques and Taoist techniques, they're wonderful. Again, they're sanctioned by page 87 under the heading of there are many useful books also and going to whatever spiritual religious tradition is yours or appeals to you. But the meditation they're talking about here, we've got to go back to the 1939 definition that was written in 1939. So what they meant is what the word meant then, not what, what the word means in common parlance today and uh, the, the, the sense is um, one of concentrated directed thought so contemplating ideas very closely so it's more the idea of hit bonanut rather than um, uh, you know the, as I say all of the, the, the Zen or, or Buddhist practices um, so, so close attention. Now it says um, they're going to make some. I'll read the whole paragraph. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better the men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. Yet it would be easy to be vague about this matter. Yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. Now, what this means to me is the two pages that follow contain the definite and valuable suggestions about prayer and meditation. So what did they mean by prayer and meditation? Well, if you look at what it says on the next two pages, that's what they meant by prayer and meditation. So we don't need to take a 21st century definition of prayer and meditation and paste it retroactively onto the intention of the authors in 1939. We can take them at their word. They say they're going to give us suggestions about meditation. The suggestions they give us are meditation. Um, a couple of other points about this. So it says better, better people than us are using it constantly. Constantly means all the time. Um, so you'll see sometimes security guards, I mentioned this before, I'm sure, sometimes security guards outside venues or institutions have little earpieces with a little curly black wire going from the ear down, the, the, the little cord goes down and there's some device hidden under their shirt. And whatever they're saying, whatever they're doing, whoever they're talking to, whoever they're searching, whoever they're interrogating, there's a voice in their ear and they're connected to the control team. And that's this sense of using it constantly to maintain the distance so that I don't get so involved in my everyday life, my concrete material existence that I lose the connection to God. That chain connecting me from down here to all the way up there, that chain must be active the whole time. So if God tugs at one end, I feel the tug at the other end. So, so much for constancy. So it's not so it's not something that I do occasionally. Obviously, one does it at set times, but it's a, it's a state of mind to foster, uh, to apply it at all times. Uh, it works if we have the proper attitude and work at it.
the the proper attitude is i think the attitude of of step three uh without without god i'm nothing uh so i need i need this this isn't a decoration this isn't a little tinkly bell on top of my life it's the means by which i live and that's to me that's the right attitude so it's not i have my life and i'm gonna ask god for occasional advice no this is the method by which i live uh, and it works if I work at it. Um, it would be easy to be vague about this matter, yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. So starting from next week, we're going to go into detail about step 11. Uh, and there are three elements to step 11. There's what we do in the evening when we're debriefing at the end of the day. Um, you'll be familiar with the notion of a day starting at sundown and not a day starting first thing in the morning so i think it's not bad i've practiced uh, i used to get very upset about work for oh a quarter of a century in that somewhere in there i would be upset about work. i don't get upset about work anymore um, I get upset about much more minor things. <laughs> I think I've got worse. Um, but I used to get upset about work. And occasionally I have bad days. But what I started to get in the practice of doing was to do the step 11 evening. So when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. I do it at the end of the working day. So that I could enter the evening clear. And when it says we consider our plans for the day. Um, if the beginning of the day is sundown or the end of the working day. I would leave the working day with a full idea of what I'm going to do in the next 24 hours. Including the next working day. So that I can relax this evening. Now the plan is set for the next 24 hours. I can enjoy the evening without worrying about tomorrow. And I can hit the ground running tomorrow with my ordinary you know, morning prayers. But I don't need to, to fuss and fret. It's all planned out. So with this, uh, you know, what belongs to the night, what belongs to the morning, you get to pick what is going to work for you with your schedule and there are a couple of points as well in step 11 which are uh, pit stop emergency procedures which we're going to cover as well but um, probably next week we'll just get through the the end of the day review um, I, I'm, I'm going to stop there does anyone have any comments or questions or wish to share Yes. You know, we talked about, we're going to talk about prayer and meditation, but it seems like there's a lot of, lot more things of doing than meditating and praying. Like doing that review of the day, that's that's not really a prayer or a meditation. It's it's, it's like it's a step four, isn't it? Ah. We're going to have fun next week because we're going to talk about how to do that in the form of prayer and meditation. So this is where we have to trust. You're going to have lots of questions. Let me present on the evening stuff next week and then see what the questions are then, because it's possible your view. I may be wrong. It's possible the view will change. I've got some pretty controversial views about inventory in AA. So tune in next week for my controversial views. Uh, any other questions or thoughts? Thank you very much. Thank you. Sarah. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm Sarah. Um, so first of all, thank you. I'm new here and I'm really getting very inspired. And I'm um, I was just thinking... My observation and hearing that perhaps the question about the direction of um, which direction, you know, the physical, the mental, the spiritual, or the other way around, the way the flow goes, I was thinking that maybe um, it depends if we're talking about from us to God or from 
God to us. And maybe the direction from us to God is we need to start with the physical and get to the spiritual. And um, when it comes from God, it's, it flows down the other way. I think that's a very acute observation. I'm going to write that one down. It's very helpful. Thank you. Um, Byla, I think you had a question. Did you have a question? Oh, she's gone. Okay. <laughs> Maybe next week. Does anyone else have any questions or comments or thoughts? Good. In that case, I'm going to wish you a good week and I'll see you all um, hopefully at 10 o'clock next Sunday. Uh, so uh, let's close with the serenity prayer. If you care to unmute, uh, if you'd like to join me in the serenity prayer. So, uh, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.